as I am sure most of you know, especially since everybody's been looking up at astronomical events, we also had the new moon this week, which means that we are in the month of Elul. We are now 40 days out from Yom Kippur. So I want to talk to you about the preparation for Yom Kippur, getting ready for the fall feasts and so forth. The way things work, Rosh Hashanah will show up on the fourth week of September. If it goes as scheduled, it will be on Friday, so I will be able to talk to you again between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. So I'll talk to you about the days of awe then, and that's the ten days between the new moon, the new year, if you will, and Yom Kippur. What I'm going to talk to you now is the period leading up to that and what I will suggest that you might consider doing. So what's going to happen is Rosh Hashanah or the new year will be 30 days from now approximately, 28 days from now. That is the first of the fall feast. It's Yom Teruah, which is the day of trumpets. And if you understand Revelation like I do, which is not a requirement, I just understand it, that's going to be the day when Yeshua is going to return. Maybe this year, maybe another year, but as I read Revelation, his feet touch down at the seventh trumpet. And that should be on the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. Ten days later, we have our Come to Jesus meeting. That's Yom Kippur, when the nations will recognize him and he will be king. And then on the 15th of that month, we have Sukkot, which is tabernacling with the king. This is a big time in the Jewish calendar. I'm suggesting it should be a big time in your calendar because you've got 40 days and any time you have an important meeting coming up, I will suggest that you ought to prepare for that meeting. So the question becomes, how are you going to do that? All of us are frail, which is to say we're not perfect. I certainly am not. But there's a difference between being frail and being wicked. We all fail. But I don't know anybody in this room, certainly, who is wicked. There's a difference there. So one of the things that's going to happen when Yeshua comes back is there's going to be seven bowls of wrath. Those of you who are in, in Revelation recognize that that's the king taking vengeance on his enemies. None of us fall into that category. So as the king comes back, what's going to happen is he is going to inspect his kingdom, he is going to see how we're doing, he is going to chastise some of us and reward some of us or some of both. But the chastisement and the reward that's going to happen is not in the same category as what's going to happen with the wicked. Understand that there's a difference. And in my time in the Sunday church, Everybody was really, really, really uptight about judgment. You're going to be judged. You hear that a lot. You want to be judged. Because judgment is where the king comes back and he looks at you and he says, you're doing this well, you're doing that not so well, you need to make these adjustments. You want that in your life. You want him to come back and correct you, and that involves judgment. But again, we're not in the category of the wicked. And for them it will be something entirely different. But judgment is not something you should fear. Understand that there will be corrections because 
all of us fall short of what he hopes we will be, but that's not the same as those who are wicked. So, anybody know Bill Whittle? Some of you do. He's a conservative commentator. He's very, very good. I enjoy him very much. And I caught one of his podcasts this last week, and he was talking about white privilege. And he said something that was really, really profound. White privilege is not having somebody else to blame for your failures. Think about that a minute. If you have got somebody else that you can blame for your failures, that's not good. Because blaming somebody else for your failures relieves you of responsibility for correcting them. White privilege is, I got nobody else to blame. My failures are my own. And the correction of my failures are also my own. If I have somebody else to blame, that lets me sort of relax and say, my sorry state is not my fault. So I will suggest that the lack of privilege that everybody else has is in fact the ability to blame somebody else for their problems. Now, God made you and he gave you certain talents and certain proclivities that are different for every one of you. Now, if everybody was like me, he wouldn't need me. The reason that you're all different is because God figured he needed each one of you. And he didn't need two of you. Not even identical twins are identical. And if you are going to approach what God wants you to be, the only tool that you have to do that is how he built you. In other words, you have certain talents, certain appetites, so forth. And if those are not sufficient to get you to where God wants you to be, then that's God's problem, not your problem. So he has given you everything that you need. Because if he hadn't given you everything you need, it would be fundamentally unjust to expect you to be something different than what you are. You've got everything you need. He's given it to you. Which means we can't fall back on it's not my fault. There's nobody else we can blame. God's given us everything we need and there's nobody else to blame. Which means if you fall short of what you hope God will make of you, you need to get busy and fix it. You cannot shift the blame off to anybody else. Now little kids can because they aren't mature yet. But at some point, they're going to become responsible for themselves. If they fall short of what God hopes they will be, then they are the ones that are responsible. Now, there are some techniques, there are some tools that you can use to help you work through this. And we'll talk about that just a little bit in Midrash. But basically, Jewish tradition has got some tools that help you to A, figure out what your deficiencies are and work through to correct them, to change them. And you can do that. Now, what the world will try and do is teach you helplessness. So, for example, Calvinism. God's in charge. Well, wait a minute. If God's in charge, then I'm not responsible. 
It's not your fault. You're a victim. You used to be a slave. Hey, we all used to be slaves in Egypt, right? And the Hebrew people came out of that slavery experience and decided, with the help of God, to make themselves something different. What's happening in this country is we had a group of people that came out of slavery and people are trying to keep them enslaved by telling them that somehow their life is junk because they used to be slaves. Well, the Hebrews used to be slaves too. So there's two ways you can look at this. I used to be a slave and I'm going to be something different. Or I used to be a slave and I'm going to wallow in it. And if you choose to wallow in it, you will never progress and you will continue, therefore, to be a victim of everybody who wants to manipulate you. That's just the way it works. So, as you're getting ready to go through this time, understand that this is a time to take stock. You want to step back and you want to look at your life. You want to look at what you are. You want to look at what you hope to have done last year and you want to take an inventory and say, how much of that did I accomplish? Am I any different at this time than I was at this time last year? Did I make any progress? Take an inventory. And again, if you don't know how to do that, there are some techniques that you can use. And I would be happy to show them to you. So take stock. Take an inventory. And then compare that with where you want to go. And by the way, God gives you tremendous latitude in deciding what you want to be. You want to be a teacher? Wonderful. You want to be a lawyer? Wonderful. You want to be a mommy, a housewife? Wonderful. Those are all worthy things to do. And you get to choose. In God's economy, there are certain things that are prohibited. But the amount of things that are not prohibited is way bigger. So as you're taking your inventory, Figure out where you are in your life. Figure out where you are in the profession you've chosen. Figure out where you are in your relationship to God. And don't look upon that as a subject for condemnation. Oh man, I really wanted to do this and I didn't get that. Woe is me. Don't want to do that. What you want to do is you want to look at your deficiencies, and we all have them, as a curriculum. Okay, I don't like this about me. Well, there I have a curriculum for the next year. I can work on that, and by this time next year, when I stand here taking my inventory again, I can say, well, I've made some progress on that. Remember, I've made a distinction between the wicked and just simple human failure. Don't get condemned about simple human failure. Regard it as a curriculum, as a plan, as a roadmap. That's not good about me. That's not where I want to have this be about me. So this is what I'm going to do to fix that. That's very different from, wow, you're wicked. Now, one of the things that the world does is it complicates things. You all have listened to the news, right? They can always present you with three sides to a yes-no question. That's what they do. They complicate things. They make things overwhelming. They make things so that I don't know what to do because there's just so much stuff here. Fall back and relax and recognize that God makes things actually pretty simple. And what God says is two things. 
choose life and be joyous. So if you operate from the perspective of, I'm going to choose life, in other words, I'm going to go through my life not doing things that diminish life. And in that process, I'm going to be joyful. And if you do those two things, you'll come up here next year at this same time and you'll say, eh, okay, I've made some progress, which is what you want to have happen. Now, let me give you a human metaphor. As most of you know, I used to be in the service. And one of the things that happens in the service to families, and it's part of what you signed up for, is that there are separations. And usually, certainly in my era, the father would be deployed somewhere for some period of time, sometimes combat, sometimes just, I've got to send you off to Saudi Arabia for a while and you can't take your family. It doesn't always have to be dramatic. But there were periods of separation that would happen. And that was part of living in the military. And one thing that would happen during those times is that the mother, the wife, would run the family. And they got really good at it. So dad's gone for six months or a year. I got to run the family, so I organize the family. I get everything organized, educate the kids, feed them, wash them, run the household, pay the bills, do all that stuff. And I get really good at it. Now, as the wife, I also really want my husband to come home. If nothing else, you know, to make the other side of the bed warm. You know, we miss him. And when dad comes home, there's a period of joy. But the next thing that happens is major stress. Because the dad steps into the house and this is my household, I'm the father, and, but wait a minute, mom's been running things this way all this time. And dad comes in and he hadn't been there for a year and he starts, wait a minute, let's do this, this, and, and so you get this tension. And lots of marriages don't survive that. And in fact, one of the things that happens often is what God would call idolatry, where mom finds somebody else to sleep with. So as we get ready for the king to return, put yourself in that position a minute. We're the housewife. We've been doing things our own way for 2,000 years. We've set things up the way we like them. And we're all waiting for daddy to come home. And in the meantime, he keeps sending us the paycheck, blessings, and we do get to communicate with him, prayer. So we communicate with him and he sends us the blessings and we're just sort of cooking along. You know, everything's cool. And we really wanted to come back. But understand, when he does come back, one of the things that's going to happen is no more sickness, streets paved with gold, all that good stuff. But the other thing that happens is we cannot do things according to our own understanding anymore. And that's going to be a real shock to me, to you, to you, and to you. Because you have been going along and doing things the way you want to do them. You're like the housewife who has set up her household to run the way she wants it to run which isn't bad.
I'm not suggesting that there's anything bad about the way she wants it to run. It's just going to be different. And just like when dad walks back into the household after being gone for a year, there's going to be this intense period of joy as the family comes back together. But about two days later, it's going to be different. What do you mean you do that? No, we're going to do it this way. Oh, wait a minute. I've been doing it that way for a year without you. You understand what I'm saying? So as you all are looking up and saying, wow, we want you to come back, and and I certainly do, understand that there's there's going to be some herky-jerky as he does come back and says, wait a minute, you're not going to do that that way anymore. But, 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 I've been doing it that way for 2,000 years. So, let me offer you a suggestion. For those of you who have had little kids, and I think most of you have, what happens when daddy comes home just after a short business trip? You get little kids that hit you about knee high and they grab you and say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And they want to tell you everything that they've done. This is what I did. And dad says, yeah, what'd you do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? What's going on? I mean, there's a joyous period of reestablishing contact after a short absence. Well, this absence has been 2,000 years. When Yeshua says, let them come to me as little children, that's what he's talking about. And what I will suggest you do during this time of 40 days is sit down and write him a letter. Tell him what you've been doing. Tell him what's going on in your life. Tell him what you want to do tomorrow. Tell him what your hopes and your dreams are. Write him a letter. And take 40 days to do it if you need to. But think about it. Spend some time thinking about it. Spend some time getting ready for the return of Father or the return of the King. You can look at him either way. He's both. In whichever way you want to do that, take some time this month. And as I say, if there are parts of you that you want to work on, and we all have them, nothing evil about that, and you need some help with Musar or any of those kinds of things, come see me, and I'll point you in that direction. Because there's lots of resources to help you do that. And they're very good. And they're free. Get ready for the return of the king.